Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's why I taught myself how to draw. It was actually the Little Mermaid. Drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward are back and it is time for the post game party if there's really no no better way to to say it this is this is george soroy over here from excelsior journeys thank you so much for being here we have been spending the last hour chatting with todd tucker and martin from illusion industries and it is my pleasure to once again give some big shout outs to my co-host my monthly co-host the horror host from the west coast the lovely ivonica daver Ivana, this was awesome. I'm so, so thrilled <laughs> that, that you that you offered that you offered this opportunity to to put this whole thing together. This you were the spirit. Hey, I, I'm I'm sitting here with the 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 masters of of makeup. So hey, I was just telling the them the masters of disaster. Martin says, <laughs> <laughs> and a big and a big shout out to Uncle B for your for 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 sitting for sitting back here. I am so looking forward to hearing what what you got to say over here over at Terra Talk. Welcome. Welcome, Mike. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. It was great watching that first hour. I'm looking forward to this post game now. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks for joining Mike. us. Thank you. Yeah. So we got to we have quite a few different different chime ins from from a lot of different people. Just kind of taking a look through the through the whole run over here. People, a lot of thing, a lot of the questions have already been asked, and a lot of people are really really excited. Saying um, uh, vintage chimed in, saying nice job on the decapitated heads, Todd. Oh, yeah. Well, let's be honest. Actually, we didn't make the decapitated no, heads. No. Um, again, we, we concentrated on Leatherface. Those were made by some of the local guys there that were jumping in and helping on some of the practical uh, damage effects as the people, the victim effects, I guess, is what you would say. Um, well, definitely. But, uh, they did they definitely get a shout-out. It did look great, though. They, they did a great shout-out. Oh, yeah. I got to get the press. Some, there's some CG in there, too. Right. Well, there's a combination. There's a combination of digital and the digital company that they that they brought on for this film did a fantastic job. There's some combinations of digital it's practical Mr. effects. Mr. Oh, X, X right there. So the, some of those practical effects are has some assist, but man, that stuff just looks really good and and is really effective in the film. So we're we're happy to to to, to know that it that turned out really good too. And I see some emojis coming in from Mark Burnham. I see flowers. I see hammers. I see some some some. <laughs> smile uh, devil faces with some thumbs up so <laughs> i am gonna go <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and say that's a good thing and hey, you know, like, guys Mark, think about it how cool is awesome. it how cool is it that leatherface himself is actually chiming in on our I'm on our little conversation that's, here. that's right this, that's cool. i gotta say this this is a really cool book like I got to say, this is a really cool bookend because back in 2000, 2001, I had the pleasure of briefly meeting Gunnar Hansen himself and getting, oh, wow. his, uh, getting his autograph on an 8x10. That was from Schiller Theater over by Secaucus in New Jersey. So so this is definitely some, some great bookends over here. I met Gunnar years ago with Butch Patrick, a.k.a. Eddie Munster. And so mm -hmm. I was just a young ghoul back then. <laughs> And no, I met Gunnar and I was, I felt like I was 15 years old. He was such a big dude. Right. And I met him in Ohio. I think we were doing like some convention in Ohio. He was just the nicest man. 
Nice. It was, it was just, it's a nice, nice soul. It's a very nice soul. So yeah, That's cool. Gunner, I miss him. Guys, yeah, we've had lots, somebody lots wait. Of- we've, sorry, we've had somebody wait in the Clifton wanted to know if Ivana would put the mask on. Yeah. There she is, ladies and gentlemen. That's a good oh, look. I'm ready for my clothes. Ivana leather. I'm ready for my Hugo M is also asking, uh, did you go? Right? Hugo M is asking, did you go with silicone yeah. for the mask? Was it pla- was it plasteel gel? It looks so realistic. Yeah, so initially, no, that's a good question. Initially, we were to go with foam because it obviously it's lightweight and it's got that old school feel. And initially in the early stages, uh, we, we definitely did tests with, with foam latex, but obviously it's a freshly skinned face. So it just, it just wasn't advantageous. And here's the other thing too, when I realized a lot of it was shooting in the rain, it would just would have been a bad deal to use foam latex. Foam and water, obviously are, they're a great combination. They like to absorb each other. So silicon obviously is more resistant. And obviously we knew there were scenes where the mask could be underwater potentially. So it all around, it was just better to use plat gel for, for the masks. And again, Dalton Kutch, the guy who ran these masks, he ran a whole bunch of different types of, of tests. We had different deadness, we had different yeah. density. The one that he, the that infamous shot where he holds it up into the sun, we called that the jelly skin, but yeah. we made a much thinner skin for that, that had a lot of back detail all hand painted into that. There was also, in fact, actually, memory serves we had three different densities of mask for this too right so there was never there was never really one material or one type of density or one type of silicon ran for the masks there were a few different ones depending on what the scene dictated but the face that he puts on he i mean we see it in the film he's he's taking the face off his mom and putting it on fresh right there so it really you know silicone has that translucency that looks like fresh real skin and even photographs with translucency. So you can kind of tell the difference. So it was important that it really felt like it was brand new, fresh, severed skin. But it is a departure from that original look because a lot of those original masks were foam. They didn't have and silicone. The latex too. Yeah, they didn't really have the silicone materials back then. So everything was foam back then. But but they also didn't have the cameras that, that shot it the way this was shot. So you have to had to had to evolve with, with the yield. I wouldn't say the consistency, we're talking about consistency, just you putting that on my face, that's like a, it's pretty dense. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, and yeah. It, but it, it's kind of, I mean, not, yeah, and, yeah. And, but it kind of fit my face. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it's kind of very, good job. Yeah, well, job. I, I, there was actually, as I said, it was a little bit of engineering. It wasn't as simple as, as the mark. Awesome. Awesome. Um, under structure, which um, that's what's said. I mean, I guess if you go to, yeah. Uh, that oh, yeah, so yeah, you'll see the, we'll see the pictures. Of it, you can right. see the pictures of a lot of the stuff, guys, at my Todd Tucker official Instagram. You'll see photos of the actual silicone faces lined up on the on the uh, face forms, and you'll see a bunch of cool behind the scenes stuff. You can check it out. Yeah. And we also have we have Jeff Coyle ask Jeff Coyle asking, will the mask be for sale at Illusion Industries or Trick or Treat Studios? Maybe replicas. So we are not selling this mask. That would get me in so much trouble. And I would like to do a sequel potentially <laughs> if it's possible. As far as something happening with Trick or Treat Studios, that would be a licensing deal with the studios. And if that was something they would want us to do, we'd be happy to do that. And by the way, Trick or Treat Studios is a great, great mask company. And they have all kinds of great masks. You guys should check it out. Uh, they actually have our Terror of Hallows Eve characters on their on their uh, website. So check out Trick or Treat Studios. Yeah, you, do, you, you oh, have nice. the, Terror, the Terror of Hallows Eve, yeah. all the... the- 
all the masks. I One wish, of I the wish best. I could, exactly. I yeah. wish they could see them over there. But Jeff Coyle actually did. He, you asked me about Jeff. I didn't exactly Jeff, hear what you, you said. It's the, an appropriate uh, comment. He did the uh, picture of Todd. Oh, that's so, Jeff. That's Jeff. Oh, Jeff. Oh, yeah, thank you very so, much for the, yeah, the, and, the artwork. That yeah, was really so cool. Todd said, who's the guy that did the artwork? Because I, I sent it to Todd when you did it. And he said, who's the guy that did that? I said, oh, he watched the show, you know, Macab Theater. And anyway, I'm going to put you guys in touch. Yeah, I really appreciate it. That was a really cool artwork. Thank you. Mike, uh, Michael, do we have do we have any questions over on your end? Mm, there we go. We were just we had this comment from one of our viewers, George. He was just saying that of the bus scene, mowing down the alternative lifestyle, Gen Xers was a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys got. I love that yeah. scene, man. That scene was great. So, there's a I don't there there one scene in there or one piece in there that I just really stuck in my mind because it was shot so well, and I I'm watching for that stuff too because as as a director I I'm watching how shots connect and everything and they did such a great job there's a girl that is climbing out a window and they start inside the bus and then they pan over to the outside of the bus and she's halfway out yeah and you see him in the window sawing her in yeah. half and then her body her half of her body falls out of the bus into the ground yeah it was just gnarly. I mean, it's just gnarly, oh, gnarly. the violence definitely pays off for you guys if you are fans of the original for sure there's a real viciousness that really comes from this. I mean, and that goes all the way back to yeah, the very beginning of this whole series. Like that mo that moment, I still remember the, the mallet scene in the, from the original film. Yeah. With the when once he kid drops and everything, Leatherface pulls him in. The metal door slams shut. Like that's one yeah. of the most viscerally terrifying scenes that I think I've ever seen in, in a film. So like that was awesome. Infamously, there's, no, there's really very little blood in that first film. It's, but I mean, you know, it's not about the blood though. It's about the aggression and, this, and the scariness yeah. of, of how, it's like having, yeah. it's like having a really scary you know, drunk dad who's going to beat the crap out of you. It's that kind of a thing where it's just really, mm -hmm. it's the anger behind the face that I think is really what makes Leatherface in this movie for sure, because this movie moves. Yeah, look, in there's, this yeah, it's an action film horror. hundred percent. Kind of. In, in this in this film, it's like honest to god, like strap it. You no, know? because you're, you're. It's like it's just like it's ongoing gnarliness, not gonna stop, and just when you think it's gonna be okay, it's not. But it, and it starts that way out the gate. But it's not. It's with the with the girl. Oh, right uh, off the bat. Yeah. With, yeah. Uh, with the, the the fiance. What's what's the what's the, char the character's name? The girl, the blonde. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, the girlfriends. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Todd's daughter. Yes, getting, <laughs> getting information is very Yeah, great. yeah, but at any rate, no, right out of the gate, it just starts and it's just like strap in, it's gnarly. And that's why I like the fact that it's 80 minutes It long. goes fast, I mean, even like yeah. that's, even the bus scene. I mean, yeah. it goes on for a while, but it's boom, boom, boom. I mean, there's yeah. no like just lingering on, on blood and guts, it's happening me, really It reminds fast. me of Peter Jackson's King Kong way back in the day. I mean, it's not way back in the day, but Peter, Peter Jackson's King Kong was kind of like, you never got a break. And it's not, it wasn't, gnar it wasn't graphically gnarly like this, but you never got a break with that. It was just Jack Black and it was, they, it was one scene to another scene. And it was kind of what we had said back then was exhausting. You were exhausted after it. Right. So this had the same kind of feel modern day but a horror movie where it gets to just be like, but I knew that was going to be the case. But instead of it, it being be the case. three and a half hours long, 100%. it's barely under an hour and a half. Yeah. And you're like, oh, you want more. So good. That's cool. Yeah. It's very yeah. cool. So good. Yeah, it did and, actually uh, watch very quick. We're very fast. Yeah, right? 
yeah. you were immediately you were following the next time like yeah it was it was i did want a little bit more <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's a good thing though that's a good yeah, thing yeah, 100%. hopefully, hopefully that means we'll have a sequel that we that where we can get that more yep yeah and and how do you how do you guys how do you guys feel about what i mean doing this iconic character for illusion industries uh, coming into 2002 and new business coming in i mean this is just a real because really the star of the the star of this movie is leatherface legit it's great i mean for as a company um it's great because to have a title character like this and hopefully have a, a good response mm -hmm. for the most part and of course there are going to be people who aren't going to like it and i expect people to not like it because it's not not everyone is going to love our design but ultimately I think that it's a really good thing for us the timing is great because like you said we haven't had this type of a title character before so and hopefully this does bring off more texas chainsaw stuff we'd love to keep doing this yeah it's tough with sequels recalls and and reboots right yeah, yeah recall right and, so this, and this and this franchise has it all it's got the sequels, I mean, it's got right. the reboots, it's, it's got, the reboots. It's got you know, like, yeah. It's a tough thing. I mean, it's kind of like even with like Rob Zombie and him casting Sherry Moon, his wife in it. Right. He got so much blowback from that. The movie's not even out. But notably, Quentin Tarantino, back in the day when he first started, people were bashing him for what he was doing. Now he's a genius. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I and, I, the, and I always liked, I always liked his stuff though. I by, think though the violence the in this is interesting because the violence in this, yeah. we watched yeah. it last night and, yeah. I, and I watched it with my wife and daughters and I was like, man, is this going to be too much? Because I don't know if sitting down and watching the original with them would make me feel comfortable. Like, you, But yeah. this movie just moved so fast that like there wasn't time to overly focus on the entrails coming out of the body that just fell out of the window because you were already on to the next uh -huh. thing. So it was like, it just rock and roll. So I, I was really excited. Do you know the interesting thing with Texas Chainsaw, though, with all the movies, is that people, each movie really reflects, I don't want to get philosophical about no, it. No, do, but, because but, you, have, you're, you're, you have the history behind it. Well, a little bit. But the, yeah. the thing is, is like, it's interesting because each film really represents where kind of America has been at that particular time. There's a lot mm -hmm. of social commentary in those films. Mm -hmm. And unlike, I think, a lot of the other icons, like, the original film has a lot of flavors of the Vietnam War and, and where issues were politically. Um, mm -hmm. But each, I think each subsequent movie sort of reflects where America was at that time. And in a weird way, I think this film strangely sort of, strangely represents where the world is today in a lot, in a lot of ways. Well, and um, exactly where you guys were at. I mean, you were, you were working in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, real in real life. Yeah. Real time. It's interesting though how the movie pulled in like cell phones and, and oh, the elements of current day to, to try to pull. But also, that I think in, the you know? speed of it. I mean, there's 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 the technology stuff, but I think the speed of it, the the, the fast paced nature of it, the fact that Leatherface is more of a freight train in this than he was oh, perhaps in the original. I think it's. I think each filmmaker brings their own particular signature onto the character. And I, I do sympathize and I really do understand why a lot of people get very attached to, to their, the Leatherface they grew up with, yeah, or yeah. the one that they remember. And rightfully so, I mean, I, I, there's nothing wrong with that. But it's interesting, like, I, I think seeing the sort of push and pull on this, on this character a little bit and on the movie, mm -hmm. because I think people, they always remember the nostalgia of the one they grew up with. That's and right. I think when they see something that's completely like, fresh and new i think there's this initial like oh my god what have you done to my leather face my leather face. Yeah. yeah but that but, but that's that's to be respected Sorry, yes <laughs> battery change, battery change but microphone still works. okay great guys hey one second we're going to quickly do a battery change on the camera microphone, still works. microphone is still going so go ahead and give us another question and hopefully by the time you're done technical joey the wonder boy will have this ready for us 
Yep, I can still hear you guys just fine. And I actually, this is a perfect opportunity for my question because I got one for both Todd and Martin. One of the things that I like to hear about is on my show is what I call the lightning bolt moment. And that's that moment when you either experience something, meet someone, hear something, see something, whatever, that makes you kind of point in that direction to say, that is what I want to do. That is the kind of of life I want to live. That's the kind of person I want to be. So for both of you, for Todd and Martin, how the hell did you decide to get into this crazy world in the first place? I, I think I speak for Martin and myself when I say it wasn't a choice. <laughs> mm. It was in our blood. Yeah. I loved this stuff since I was a kid. I got my first werewolf mask when I was five. I loved monsters. I loved the Wizard of Oz, Planet of the Apes. I love The Exorcist in an age I probably shouldn't have seen it. I was a huge spill. I mean, and the thing for Martin also and I is that we were at an age where we were teenagers or, or, or younger, depending, when all these great movies like Jaws and Halloween and, and Texas Chainsaw and, and Aliens and Freddy Krueger and all this stuff came out. I mean, we were, there wasn't anything like that before that. So we got to go and see this in the movies for the first time in the theaters and it really, for me personally, it just impacted me and made me want to do this all the time. And it was kind of all I ever thought about. I'm also very OCD and uh, can, and just love, I, I was an only child who went to the films all the time and would spend entire weekends in the movie theater. So I just loved it from the get go and, and, and was lucky enough to be able to do this instead of winding up in jail. <laughs> Black tea. Black, Black tea, tea factory. Uh, coming from Britain was a little different. I don't know, like I was I was into film as a kid. I don't know if necessarily I, I I had ambitions to get in this business when I was little. I did love Phantom of the Opera. I mean, there was loads of things I remember being a huge influence on me when I was super little, but I really wanted to be a fine artist, to be honest, when I was at mm. college. So makeup and creature effects, although obviously they, they had a a long and rich history in Britain, they're much smaller. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have people like Ray Ashton and, and Chris Tucker, and these guys were like pioneers back in the day, especially with makeups like the Elephant Man and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a lot of good stuff coming out of the UK, but it was just such a small business. And the possibility of getting into it just seemed so remote. So I went to art school to do fine art. It wasn't like I sort of, I loved makeup effects and creature effects, but I thought, oh, that's never gonna happen. Amazing. So. Yeah. And how did you two meet? We met on Tinder. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> you swiped us. <laughs> you said you'd never tell, you <laughs> son of a bitch. My wife is watching and you out me. You think you're coming here for Leatherface and then breaking news. I know, right? you know, <laughs> this this is why people stay for the after party. The, exclusive, not Leatherface. the last time that yeah. happened was with was with Nathan Fillion and Michael Rooker, no joke, on the on the on the set of uh, Lither. Same same thing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Michael Rooker said, "Well, we're a couple now," and I oh, went, "Oh, breaking news!" That's awesome. That's so funny. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's the second time it's happened. Well, Sorry about that. Actually, and this is <laughs> actually, you guys probably know this name. My mentor. I had two mentors who taught me how to do makeup effects before I moved here: Matt Rose and Steve Wang legends in the industry. I was working with Steve Wang. We were at my in my garage and Martin came over with our friend Chris Gallagher, right? Chris, yeah. And uh, and Martin came over and we met and he was kind of 
pitching Steve on something. I was trying to pitch a script. You're yeah. trying to pitch a script to Steve. <laughs> I love it. And and we just really we just hit it off. And then Martin and I both worked as key artists for a company years ago. And then when I broke off from that company and opened Illusion Industry, Martin came with me and he was my he's been my key artist and, and my key sculptor ever since. And then we've just we and it's weird because we have we, we are we have a lot of things in common, but our style, artistic style is very different. But I, I will say this and I and I will give these props out. I've worked with a lot of sculptors over the years. There's some great sculptors out there, Mitch Devane, Miles Tevis. Steve Wang, Matt Rose. I mean, these guys were some of the top, top sculptors in the industry of makeup effects. I do believe, and I say this honestly, I do believe Martin is potentially one of the best sculptors in the industry. What? <laughs> I'm going to get hate mail now. Well, I'm kidding. <laughs> this is another breaking news. But honestly, guys, I've seen stuff come out of him. So, I mean, and uh, his style is so kind of just weird and cool, weird, twisted stuff that when I made my first movie, Monster Mutt, um, I had done a bunch of cool sculptures of the dog. I was so in my own head that I, I couldn't see how good those sculptures was, were, and I ended up sculpting the dog myself. After I finished the movie, I looked back at some of the sculptures that Martin presented, and I was like, damn, those were better. So when I did the Terror of Hallow's Eve, I literally took Martin aside and I said, dude, I'm gonna let you design all this stuff. I'm not even gonna tell you what, I, we'll just talk about things, but ultimately just, just knock it out of the park and, and surprise the hell out of me. And then every time I'd walk in the door and see a sculpture, of a new character, it was like Christmas. So I'm very lucky to have Martin, and that's why I've held on to him for 15 <laughs> something years it's now. So sweet, we should definitely elope. <laughs> Sorry, Val. Again? <laughs> so there's my well, pitch for Martin. No, but it is true, you said, because a, a lot of times with special effects houses and things, a lot of the, the main guys, and no names in particular, they don't they don't give credit to their entire team as much as, as, as you have told me over and over again, listen, Natalie, it's Ivana and Natalie. It's so important for, for Martin to, for you to really emphasize what a big part he is of this. And there, so that, that's, that's really speaks to who you are and it speaks to your work. I, I spent Martin. years working for somebody who took all the credit and I took the back the back seat. So I ultimately, when I started my own company, I wanted to make sure there's no reason to not give credit to the guys because it's, you can't do it as a one man show. And if you've got really, really talented guys, let the world know. Right. You mm -hmm. don't want to, you don't want to hold people. To, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. No. And I, and I have talented people. That's why the, the work that comes out of illusion industries is always top notch, no matter what the project is, whether it's a big studio film or whether it's a smaller project. So I always and, tell people that if you're, if you're going to, if you have people that move on and do great things, it's really just, it's really, that's what I want to see. Yeah. Your that's team, what I want to see. Your team is everything. Yeah. A one man show doesn't work. Never. Yeah. I mean, and, uh, it, it just so happened just so happens that at the same time we have a question from vintage asking who else works at illusion industries um well so i keep a really really small crew basically what happens is is martin and i depending on what's coming in we will get a script we'll break it down we'll start talking about what the effects would be and then we interact with the director 
And then uh, depending on what the show is, both Martin and I go on different shows and either we'll create the stuff and then go on set and apply it. The good thing is, is we can do more than one show at a time because I can take a show and then Martin can take a show. We can both facilitate the show and then go on set and, and either apply it or puppeteer it or whatever it is that we're building. So it's usually Martin and uh, we've got my tech, Joey, who does all of our, our production stuff. But we bring in art, depending on the project and specific to the project. If we're gonna do an old age makeup show, like we did A Dog's Journey a few uh, years back, uh, we brought in Miles Tevis and Miles sculpted the faces because Miles is one of the greatest old age sculptors in the industry. And if we're gonna do something more cartoony and fun, it might be something that I sculpt. If we're gonna do something uh, that is just dark and twisted, that is Martin, 100%, uh, which is why Leatherface came right into Martin's hand. So I bring in artists as as the project comes in and, and depending on what we need, but we have some of the best people in the industry working. Right. Chris. Chris Gallagher, we've Dalton. Heard, yeah, we've heard all the names of Chris John Gallagher, Donahue. John Donahue. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's a bunch of, of, of these guys that are, and they go from shop to shop working on some of the biggest shows, but ultimately, uh, luckily, every time we've needed them, they've dropped whatever they were doing. We've got Matt. Justin. Matt Rose, who Matt was, was yeah. Matt, Matt Rose, who unfortunately passed away, was one of my best friends. Yeah. So we've had some great people. I've been very, I've personally been very, very lucky to have these people in my building. Awesome. One of the things I wanted to say was that the scene with the cell phones in the bus, that actually relates to what I do because I'm a paranormal investigator and I go live at a lot of things that are actually live. And to see people making comments like, that's so fake and where did they get this guy while they're actually getting murdered is like, yeah, it actually would happen. Like what he's saying is when when they're on the bus mm -hmm. and all these, they pull their, their cell phones up and they're like, oh, wow, who is this guy? Right. And then on the screens of the, of the cell phone, everybody's going, this is so cool. I want to be at this party. Are you kidding me? Look at this. So they think it's fake. And then all of a sudden this one guy goes beep, like bleep. And right. then the killing starts. Right, so, right. Yeah. So it's uh, so what Mike is saying basically. What you're saying, Mike, is that basically when you go out and you do your paranormal, at, when you do your paranormal, you you're, you capture things with it. Exactly. I'm showing like you know I have equipment that's registering live, or I have figures that are showing up on a camera, and we're showing this as like oh my god, we're actually catching this, and you're getting comments of oh, that's fake, and you guys are using CGI, and but it's not. It's real, and we're in it in the, at the moment. Oh, interesting. You know, of course, as always with everything, you're going to have people that are going to try to blow holes in whatever it is you're doing. Right. But, and I know too, and that uh, there were there was a lot of question as to that scene being in the movie, as far as whether they wanted to have that whole cell phone thing in there. But they they really felt that that was a sign of the times. And, it did. It really made it current. It really it made it it made it today. Exactly what so whether you through. like it or not, it 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 was like Martin said. It's listen. It's, Sign of the times of this movie. Honest to God, listen, go to a concert and you, you'll have somebody like J-Lo, who's, she's in her 50s, absolutely stunning, drop-dead gorgeous. But she's saying, everybody put down your phones and watch in real time. And it's not going to happen because people want to see it on their cell phones. They want to record. That's what they want to do. But that generation is like, J-Lo's generation is like, no, put down your phones. And they're like, no, we want to get, we want to get it. Yeah. So that's it. That's it. You know, because yep. I thought about that. I was like, it's, it's a generational thing. It is, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So any any more questions? Yeah, we also had Jennifer wanted to know if there was any COVID outbreaks or anything during the filming or anything on set that slowed you guys down. Not no, one. Not one. Not one. There was, I think we were the only production shooting in Europe that, that 
didn't have a case. In fact, I think we were the only production. There was a couple of other things shooting in Europe, and they they did get hit with COVID. But yeah, we we didn't have one single case. Not, really not, not even a. Again, that was that was her. That was her the producer. Yeah. He he really ran that uh, very well. And actually, Sean Bailey. He's the he's a, a chap that works for Legendary. He's sort of the, their COVID guy, but Sean did a great job on that too. Yeah. But again, like it was, uh, it was crazy. There was every single day there were these guys coming in with these Ghostbuster backpacks and spraying everything down. And but uh, well, the chemicals that were coming into the makeup room and spraying everything down. Oh with wow. These chemicals. Yeah. No, that was when when COVID first hit. They would only let you shoot for like a half hour at a time and then you'd have to clear the set and then they would sterilize the whole well, set. No, 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 I'm talking about like they were coming to the makeup room after I've done everything and then spray all my brushes oh, spray down. Your yeah, and like wreck everything. Right. Uh, so just... for the first day or two, I'd come into the makeup room the next day and everything was soaking wet, wet. and this stinking chemical. Wow. So, it, no, I mean, it was not, nobody was trying to do anything wrong, but nobody knew no, what they were doing. Of course, but still just, just the, the, so, the interruption of your of your process. Yeah, well, yeah. well that's for everything else. <laughs> Oh, I mean, wow. everything was trashed. So, but the but so oh, wow. Sean would like he was excellent at coming up with like strategies because like we were there was no protocol for makeup effects. Right. So we had to figure out who was touching what. It was the same for the camera department too. Like they got people going in and touching the cameras all the time. Yeah. But it could have to be streamlined into one particular person doing one particular thing. I, I'm, I'm sure it's all changed now because it seems like most different sets in different countries have different protocols. Mm -hmm. But certainly at that time, it was just it was just insane. <coughs> It was just insane. Like we, everyone had different zoning, or the zoning things still exists. But there's no, there's no doubt that for our end, because we're touching the actors. I mean, it was very, they were super strict on us. And also, we talked earlier with TCM Talk. We were talking about how David, as the as the actor, yeah. how he how, how that would, must have just really creatively, he probably had to get used to that. Slows the flow down, right? Yeah. So yeah. you get into that rhythm for him. And that, I, again, I've got to give all props to David because like he, he came on the project and everybody rallied around him and just got him everything he needed to get that film made. But but yeah, the, the, there was definitely time spent, particularly on, on when we were on sound stages, because obviously you, in a contained space, it's going to be an issue. Yeah. So to constantly have to cut every 30 minutes, Crazy. Get everybody out, and it wasn't like two people in a room. I mean, a lot yeah. of times, it was the entire crew. It was the entire, yeah, it was entire, right. the entire crew. And again, like I mentioned earlier, with the bus. Yeah. I mean, you've got like a huge amount of people over that set. Imagine you know, trying to usher out fifty to seventy-five people. Oh, it, it might have know. added to the intensity of this, like. Probably not, no. I, <laughs> I think it would have just I, been I frustrating like, you know rather than I, fearful. I, I, I was like, mm, it might be nice. No, that wasn't helpful. So I had a question on that set, obviously, again, for what I do, paranormal stuff, was there anything ever on set that couldn't be explained? Anybody, anything like that? Any paranormal activity on any set? Any paranormal activity, any weirdness? Spirits of No, we, we did, we did, the studios we shot in were super old though. I mean, they were they were pretty old, but not, not that I recall, no. No, nothing. I don't, I don't think so, no. No. What would you guys even have had the time? I mean, well, actually, you know what's weird? It was quite isolated because everyone's working very separate. And it was there was a lot of sound stages at this studio mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of long corridors. And it was pretty isolated because nobody could be together. Right. So there were, you were kind of, I mean, certainly for myself, I had a few rooms, but I was on my own on an isolated part of the studio. Right. And I very kind of rarely met people. Mark was obviously, he had his, um, his dressing room near to the makeup room. Mm -hmm. But I mean, him and me were pretty much the only people in that part of the building. So it was a pretty isolated experience on that level. But there, nothing ever really happened there that was untoward or weird or 
Right, 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 right. Now we had all kinds of demons flying around the studio here, but they were fine. <laughs> on the that's on a normal basis. Yeah, yeah. that's just that's, that's just normal. Yeah. Todd, earlier on the on the first show, you had mentioned you were going to be somewhere, and people would come out and check you out. Could you say that again for the for the post show? Oh yeah, so we will be at Monster Palooza in June. I believe it is the third, fourth, and fifth mm-hmm. of June, and we're going to have a full Leatherface display. I'm going to be there. I'm going to see if I can drag Martin there. Too many people. <laughs> Too many people. But I'll be That's there. Any love for people to come up and say hello and take a photo with Leatherface. And Ivana, you're going to be hosting that or actually, moderating? I, yeah, I'm actually going to be moderating the entire event, which is going to be great. So I'll be introducing the moderators for a lot of the panels that already have moderators, but then I'll be moderating a couple of panels for Elliot. And Elliot is uh, the founder of Monster Palooza. So great guy. This this Monster Palooza is, in my opinion, like Monster Palooza is a place that you can go and you'll find some of the best directors, producers just walking around unbeknownst to a lot of the people. Like you're going to find some of the biggest names there with like hoodies and things on like that because it's so, it's so true. It's the best horror convention in my opinion. It's also at the Pasadena Convention Center. So it's a big open space. So So it's going to be my next question. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, I mean, if you're, if you're concerned about, about COVID, it is, it is the biggest space that they have these conventions at. So it's, it's not quite as compact, so it's a little bit more comfortable to go. Yeah, Elliot, yeah. Elliot, the owner of Monster Palooza, the founder, he, he explained it to me that he was a kid that loved this. You know, so it was kind of like you He's guys. He's a fan. Yeah, it's kind of like you guys. And he said he wanted to bring what you guys brought, but in a but in this type of a form to be yeah. able to share it with all the fans. So that's why he gets yeah. some of the biggest directors and producers he's also a really really down-to-earth guy like Super. he's very non-hollywood yeah he's just a real chill guy so he's, he's got a lot of people that want to help him out because he's a good yeah he's a good person good guy. Yeah. him and his son yeah we got a couple yeah, we got a couple of uh quick questions okay. coming in just real quick just ask is bulgaria always the choice for filming and if so why and was there a reason to shoot there and not in america yeah it was always the, it was always the, the choice to shoot there i don't i can't i can't comment on the politics why i mean it, it i don't know i mean personally maybe it may be cheaper to shoot in bulgaria than texas now i it all this business is so strange it always comes down to tax incentives and and you've got to look at crew rates and union deals and there's so much infrastructure with the politics of making a film now i mean and and frankly with technology you can shoot anywhere now they did know. they did build that entire town in bulgaria which is the sets are still there, so I'm, I'm guessing they probably built that knowing that they would use it for multiple purposes. So it maybe was an investment in building the sets for, for other things, maybe. Don't know. Don't know. Yeah. But also, like, I would say this, though, like the amount of blood and carnage that really did occur on that set, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how that would have happened on location. I mean, thinking about it, it there was so much contained, so many of those things were contained, and we needed to go from like a street set into a soundstage, back onto a street, back onto a soundstage. I don't, I don't know, like if you're on location, big move for production. So I'm not entirely sure whether it would have been advantageous to have shot in Texas and then done a big like three hour production move to go back to a soundstage and then yeah, go back out again on location. This was all in one space and the producers were very smart. They figured that 
that to self-contain everything like this would have been a good way to go. The other thing too that might have been played into this, I don't know this for sure, but the other thing too is that you have all the unions here. They don't have the unions like that over in the Bulgaria and the unions, everyone had stopped. There was no production for the most part going on. So I don't know that they could have shot in Texas, even if they had planned on it at that point. So you saying because of COVID? Yeah. I think they were building sets before COVID. Mm. So, so, so I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, there, I think, I think they were building the sets because they, because they wanted a, the sets. There's a yeah. tremendous amount of production in Bulgaria. Oh yeah. 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 A tremendous amount. Yeah. So they've been shooting there for it's years. Like a key, yeah. It's like a key place to shoot. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot, yeah, there's a lot of great films come out there. I don't, even mm-hmm. I didn't realize how much was coming out of there. And I have to say this again. The crew out there are fantastic. I mean, they're, they're hardworking. I mean, they're committed to the, the, the art of filmmaking. And nobody there was, was nothing short of an expert, yeah. whether it was set builders, wardrobe, props. Uh, and the stunt team, uh, those stunt guys were amazing on that film. They yeah. really were. Yeah. 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 Nice. And George, any questions? Uh, someone, a Dredula was basically confirming what was sa- what was saying just now, saying, "Yep, like a ten percent tax and a twenty five percent rebate, something like that. It's just cheaper yeah, yeah. there." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. just the reality of business. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. we were a little quiet on that one, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mike, what Mike, what do we have over on your end? Guys, we got a couple of people wondering what you guys got coming up next. You got any projects you're going to work on next or anything in the work? So we recently filmed another film for NetFlow where we created 26 creature characters for a film that will be coming out this Halloween, I believe. Okay. This was a lot of fun. We shot that in Atlanta, and I actually got to play two of the creatures myself and then try to oversee... 24 other characters at the same time. That's a really easy job. Yeah, right. And then we did a we did a commercial for Florida where we created a, a number of puppets. We did yeah, we did a really a really fun dog, a stuffed dog that kind of like a something about Mary dog gag for another movie where they had a oh, a dog nice. that was just being thrown all over the place and they needed oh. a, a, a dog for that. Not funny. But uh, we have a here, yeah, right? But we have a I bunch like of projects that, we, uh, that we're that we budgeting right now and, and bidding on, and Not I also development, development projects. Development, yeah. And then I am trying to move on our next in-house project that I'm going to be writing and directing. Great. Fantastic. Ivana, everybody's kind of asking what you do. You want to tell us a little bit? You said, I'm going to introduce myself. My name's Ivana Cadet, but you didn't go into what you do. Oh, I didn't. So. No, I told you. Well, I tell you what ha- I'll tell you what happened. I mean, on the real. I, when I, when I, we, I got in here a little late. I got in here when Martin got in here. <laughs> Seriously. We all got in a little late. Todd was right on time. But <laughs> so anyway, I got, I, I came running in here and I literally tripped and fell over the stairs. And almost, <laughs> okay. No, no joke. And so I had to Are get you a stunt it. woman? I am. That's what I do. Today. Yeah, today. Yeah. So anyway, I came in here and I quickly changed and I came on. And when I did the introduction, I wasn't quite myself, you know what I mean? But, but I am uh, Natalie Popovich, a.k.a. Ivana Cadaver. I host a television series called Macabre Theater, and we host independent horror films as well as the classics. Which Patrick, a.k.a. Eddie Munster, has done about 36 shows with me. And I've done in total about 63 shows. The last show that I did was an hour special featuring Todd Tucker's The Terror of Hallow's Eve. And that was a lot of fun. And that was right before that was right before the pandemic. That was that was Halloween, Halloween before. Yeah, the Halloween before. So and what what's interesting is is that 
somebody asked, uh, was asking you guys how you knew, how you got into this business. And, and the terror of Hallow's Eve is really a true story of how Todd got into this business. It's it, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's, first it's, half hour is. Yeah, the first basically. half hour. I mean, it's, it's fiction, nonfiction, but, but there's a lot of it, a lot of the terror of Hallow's Eve is him as a, as a kid. And it's telling the story of, of, of him and his desire to do this. Or you could have been a rock star, right? <laughs> that, that, that'd be okay. Now I I find I've actually gotten to see Terror of Hallows Eve thanks to Macabre Theater. I'm gonna uh, finally got my got my Roku and everything set up in my office, so I got to actually like take the time to watch it. I saw that it was there. I started watching. I really enjoyed it. Really, oh, like, and I'm not awesome. just saying that because you're right here. Um, but <laughs> Are you sure about that now? <laughs> Come on, George. But I gotta say, like that that marionette scene just floored me. I absolutely yeah, love was- love oh love God. that scene. That was the best. I got to know, like, how, how long did it take to film that? Because it looked like there was so much that went into that, just that scene alone. Well, that was, we filmed that whole scene in, I think, a day, actually. But we did a lot of, we did, a, we we shot the scene and then we green screen and shot the puppets and digitally put them into the scene. So there's some really nice CG interaction in there and you really can't tell. It looks like they're really in the shot, but we were very... Yeah careful about doing that. But I have to be honest with you, when I shot that scene at the end of the day, I was just thinking about everything that we had shot. And I was like, oh my God, I, when I edit this, I hope, <laughs> I really hope this doesn't come off comical. I don't know if this is gonna be scary or if it's gonna be funny. And when I premiered the film at Sitches in Spain, they sold out the theater, they turned away 500 people and they had people sitting in the aisles, clearly no fire, no, no escape, nothing. Half of the, most of the people there didn't even speak English. And I was worried that because the first half hour of it's kind of a setup and it's all back and forth dialogue. And I was like, oh my God, these people are gonna lose their mind because there's no real horror in the first half hour. When it came to that puppet scene at the end of it, everyone got up and was cheering. Yeah. And I just went, oh my God, thank God. Cause I was, I had no idea if that movie was, if that scene was gonna actually work or not, but they, that's the one scene that everyone kind of pulls out of it. It's kind of- it, ac- it actually kind of reminded me of Philip's death from A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Uh, yes. How, you know, like very much like that sort of style, how it just like kind of starts off as one thing and then it becomes something completely, just something like completely out, out of the, out of the ordinary. Here, here's here's something really really cool. The kid that the puppets kill. Yeah, that's his son. No kidding. That's it, awesome. Yeah. That that's is awesome. I love son. that. Yeah, I love that. I saw that his so dad cool. at, a, at a convention, and I go, I got to be honest with you. When I found out that he was your son, knowing that you were killed by puppets in in number three, I think it's really cool that we're killing your son with puppets. And he goes, Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, I guess it runs in the family. I don't know. but Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I was going to make a comment. Yeah. I was going to make a comment and say, so, because you and I have talked about that scene. That, that scene for me was, like, amazing in the movie, right? And you were like, yeah. Like, the first time we talked about it, you were like, yeah, I didn't know about that scene. So it's it's like, it's kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2022. The scene's going to be the bus scene. I think in your movie, when those puppets cut the string, that's it. So it, it was it was just a really good scene. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is all the puppets from the terror are staring at us right now on yeah. the other side of this camera. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wanted to go back to something else too. Uh, Mike had asked a question: what What do we plan on doing? So, 
with macabre theater and and yes i did not say who i was because i again came in here and ran in here and tripped and fell and my suitcase went everywhere so that was a lot of fun but martin goes no that's terrible yeah yeah my back's a little tweaked but i'm all right i'll be all right but i wanted to say that mike from terror talks i'm going to be going to new jersey and i'm going to go on some ghost hunting paranormal with him and i'm going to get my hands dirty with this so we're gonna nice. we're, yeah so we're gonna actually get together and do some some pretty i hope some pretty gnarly ghost hunting and get some things and we're going to put that on macabre theater which i think is going to be really a, more of a a, a a a real element to the to macabre theater so it was where you know we're hosting independent movies we've done that and we've hosted all the classics night not nightmare on m street no i was going to say Corman, Roger Corman's Night of the Living Dead, hello. All those kind of all those kind of older movies, and we've done some independent movies. We showcased Todd's, which in my opinion was the best movie we 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 did to date. But that was that was right before, before the pandemic. But we are gonna I'm gonna get with Mikey B. That's what I call him. He's gonna kill me for that one. <laughs> and we are gonna do some par- paranormal hunting and put it on the shelf. Mike, I don't know if I don't know if you've gone there or not, but both Martin and I had to move to Louisiana for like four or five months to work on G.I. Joe Retaliation. Okay. And while I was there, I went up to Shreveport, Louisiana, and I don't believe in, I mean, I have never experienced anything with a ghost necessarily. So I'm not like a, a that's gonna go out there and say I've, I've seen gotcha. stuff, but I saw stuff in Shreveport that you should have filmed. <laughs> wow. You know, I've never been out there, but. You might wanna go there. I caught stuff by accident and looked at it on the back end and went, oh, what the hell? So Shreveport's a good place it's, to go. It's intense. And wow. Dean Carr. Yeah. Dean Carr, he did, a, he did a documentary on actual families in Louisiana that do this like like haunted house. Uh-huh. And, it, but but they're, I'm not even gonna say, I mean, there's, it's just, it's the real deal. Louisiana's got some pretty great stuff. If you, yeah. if you need footage, you, you could probably get quite a bit there. Yeah. I'll be, well, then we'll have to plan something. Let's go, Ivana. Let's do it. There you go. Hey, you I'm know that. Gonna... No, you know, we go to the, we have some really good ones uh, set up for her. So like we're, we're, we're in the, yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I got to chime in real quick because I just, I am a fan of GI Joe retaliation. So I'm glad, I'm really glad you guys have worked on that too. Cause I, I had a blast with that. I remember sitting there in the theater, just saying like, this is so much of this is like, is like what I grew up on. So b- between the between the show and and the comics and everything, like seeing that all come to life, the fact that you guys worked on that, kudos. So thank you guys well, for. To be honest with you, actually, that was that was also a movie through Herb Gaines, who brought us on to the Texas Chainsaw. He brought us. We had worked with Herb on The Watchmen before I opened up my own company with another company, and and then he brought us on GI Joe and 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 Martin and I both had to move to Louisiana and open up a studio there because he wanted us there for the build. And mm-hmm. it was great. It was a great experience. That was really fun working on that. And and that speaks to this is a it's a very small industry within an industry. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, in, in the Special in the effects, effects. industry, yeah. everyone pretty much knows who everyone is. So yeah. you you want to try to keep a clean slate because people can can talk very quickly. But it's a lot of egos. A lot of egos. A lot of egos in a room. Showbiz. But, yeah. But Showbiz. Yeah. yeah. I can't. But if I if I. If I sit with somebody who's an English accent, it's just going to happen. Oh, I'm sorry, Martin. That's all right. <laughs> I'm so sorry. He's like, he's, like, would you, he's like, would you stop, Natalie? We were I taking bets before whether it was English or uh, Australian. 
it's, it's all it's English, crappy. baby. It's, yeah. And it's real, by the way, too. It's where, okay. where, where is it? Is like Manchester? My accent? Yeah. Uh, it's uh, south of England. It's Kent. So it's basically okay. like just a little bit southeast of London. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The although, best bit. Although Martin is yeah. really good at doing an American accent. So it's, uh, not, so it's not northern. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm from the south. Yeah. yeah but, he but, sounds like John Wayne, it's, it's though, when he does deal. an American accent. Yeah. Everything <laughs> talks black. <laughs> no, it's a big deal to say northern or southern. Yeah, we, don't, we don't get on. They oh, don't. No, no not no. at all. Lots of, lots we, of uh, problems. They're just mad because we're better. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. We got another quick question here from First Class Horrors. Ask, what was the process around creating your own version of such an established and iconic character? For, for Leatherface? For Leatherface, yeah. yeah. Repeat the question. What was the process around creating your own version of such an iconic so, character? So I'll tell you, that always, no matter what the project is, it all starts with the script. So just from my end, it's very easy just to jump into what you think something should look like. And, and you can get great designs. There's been some amazing designs in films over the last... 30 40 years that are amazing but they don't necessarily connect to the source material you've really got to look at a script and try to again extrapolate what is making that script work a good character design i think always stems from taking yourself out of the script and requiring to make something that suits what the story needs so in other words like for leatherface in the very first draft that we read there was an odd sense of Again, we said the word tragedy, but there was a sense. I just got a sense of sorrow for, sorrowfulness from the from the story, and it really began with trying to put a little bit of that into the mark, and it really was stemmed from there. And then, because the thing is, like designing is a weird process. It's pretty lonely because you're stuck in a room. I mean, most designers will, will credit to this. You're stuck in a room. You're kind of trying to get into the mind of a director or a producer. It's a weird thing because, like, you've always, your own ego always wants to get in the way of that, but you've got to try to pull out what that person's trying to get out in that project so you can have your own ideas about it but at the end of the day you don't have the whole picture as a designer only the director has that so you've got to try to hit that middle ground between letting your ego out and letting the the overall vision that the director has in but that can also be really tricky too if your director doesn't have a vision because we've had that experience, not on this show, but we've had that ex the experience before where the director really doesn't know what he wants, and then you end up doing a design that is the right design, and they go, and we've had this happen. We did the design of something, and the director goes, ah, change this, now change this, now change this, and literally we did 15 different versions and went all the way back to the very first one, showed him the first one again without telling him it was the first one, and he said, that's the one. So... <laughs> It's tough sometimes because the directors don't know exactly what they want. And then at that point, it's really important to just kind of figure out how to put a different, you know, a few designs in front of them and, and get reactions from them and, and pull, pull it out of them as to mm. what they're reacting to and what they respond to. So it, it can be really challenging. The weird thing to thinking about it is it's like sometimes people just can't vocalize what's in their head. And I think some directors told to write like it seems like they don't know what they want. But in a way they do, they just can't necessarily can verbalize it. Yeah, they can't express it. Every movie has a set of like departments that work on it, joke, props, whatever it may be. But creature effects are kind of like the bastard stepchild. Like not every film has it. And I think sometimes when we come on board of production, I think sometimes people don't know how to necessarily talk to us. Like they right. don't have the language down. And some directors we work with, uh, 
they're nerds. They get the terminology, they get the shots, they understand how to verbalize the thing they're looking for for their project. But Todd's right, sometimes it seems like they don't know, but if you're patient with them sometimes, you can get it out of them. But you've, you've got to be a little bit of a psychologist, I think, to, That's to work with those people. Yeah. That's really yeah. interesting because I was kind of thinking, I, I was taking it a little differently when you first said it but then your process of having to pull it out of them is like that's sometimes, really yeah. sometimes, that's yeah. really interesting you can see that they know what they want but they don't have the words for it mm -hmm. so and again there is a running joke like todd said like sometimes you you'll do you'll do the right thing initially i mean the one project we've been working on for a while where we did the, the first design the first thing i did ended up being the one they picked but we had to do literally like a hundred different other designs to get back to the beginning mm. but that is pretty common that's not that unusual but, but sometimes you need to see what you don't want to know what you do want. Right. We, those are the jobs that take the longest. Yeah, we, we, when we did this last film with Ned uh, that I was talking about with the 26 characters, that was a completely different process because there were so many different characters. We would just come up with these designs and put it in front of, of the director, and he pretty much approved everything that we did, just one after another, after another, after another. Mm -hmm. And since we had 26 of them, at that point, to sit there and dissect and redraw and redo all, it would have been a nightmare to have to do that over and over for 26 different characters. So it really depends on the director and it really depends on, you know, kind of how much they trust you as a designer also to, to put stuff in front of them. But to answer that question about Leatherface though, because that's what they're asking, like I, it, it definitely started with the script on this one. There's no doubt about yeah. it. Mm -hmm. and, and, but there's that added pressure back here of what everyone knows that that classic iconic look is. Right. right. So it's like, Right. How much can you change it before you piss everyone off, right? Kind of, yeah. Because yeah, we, yeah. we talked about yeah, we that. We talked about it a lot, and there's all sorts of like ways you can go on this. But the other thing you've got to realize is time crunches. I think a lot of people don't realize yeah. we don't have six months to sit in a room and sort of wax lyrical about the, the ways we can go on this. And these designs, no matter what the film is, especially in larger productions, they have to go through so many departments. Production designers, directors, producers, yeah. distributors—like so many people have assigned these designs now. Right, and then so, and then also too, as you design these characters, especially if you're designing from head to toe, you're now interacting with wardrobe because wardrobe is probably going to be making whatever it is you're designing as far as the clothes go. You're interacting potentially with the hair department if you're making wigs, and you're going to go on set. The hair de department might be putting the wigs on, so straight makeup, hair department, digital, because there's so much interaction between the practical and the digital. So really, when we go on a project, we tend to, we start with the director, but when we're on set and as it starts to move forward, we're interacting with all these different departments to try to come together to make sure that one thing works. But to answer the question though, Leatherface didn't, it didn't really change from the first maquette very much. The very no. first maquette, because they, to be honest, they really wanted to see some 2D designs, but I was kind of a bit aggressive about doing a 3D design mm -hmm. because it, to me, I wanted to get that old school vibe. And in the old days, you do maquettes, you do yes. like 2D drawings and pencil. I mean, I get that those things have changed and we're in a different kind of like world now. Right. But sometimes, sometimes more traditional ways suit the project better. Right. The Texas this, Chainsaw felt like, yeah, the right this one. Well, we, I mean, pretty much the first sculpture we took in there is the sculpture. They, they pretty much stuck with that. The yeah. very first one. That's yeah. the, and, and again, when I saw it too, when I saw the, the, the sadness in the face All and everything, right. They, they questioned it a little bit at first because, again, they wanted that scary thing, but it, it grew on them very quickly because they understood that it was playing into the motion of the character for the script and yeah. it lended it to the script. So, But then the other thing is that you can do a maquette and people go, oh, that's, that's great, we like it. But then you have to negotiate those shapes onto an actor's face. So it's, right. not, it's not really until you get the actor's life cast 
and you take those design cues off a maquette or drawing or a ZBrush or whatever it may be, and you push it onto another person's face, everything starts to yep. change. So right. suddenly they'll say, well, that's not what we asked for. And it's like, well, it's as close as you're going to get because right. that face dictates how that design's going to roll. It translates a little so different from face to face. Yeah, there's a lot of things like a lot of people working in ZBrush, you know, doing designs, which is great, and you get some very beautiful designs with ASL and everything's like the moment from the movie. Mm -hmm. But when you've got to put that down into three dimensions, it, it will lose a lot of it. That's why sometimes, and a lot of, I think a lot of studios get this, you'll get designs that are really beautifully executed and painted. And even again, when they're lit a certain way, it's selling a moment in time. But the truth about it is, is it's a clay sculpture. So it's a very, it's a very sort of like, it can be a bit of a jump. And also here sometimes we'll take the sculpture and we'll paint over it to try to give a closer representation to the design. Sometimes right. if it's done in 2D. Right. So there's all, there's all sorts of like hurdles you have to jump over. It's never, and no design process is the same twice. No, it's, mm -hmm. it's different every film. Every film. Yeah. So yeah. so we're down to the last couple of minutes on this. Michael, do you, do you have uh, any more questions, comments on your end? If we could sneak one more in. We had one girl, Jennifer, wanted to know if uh, there was any of those oh no moment, any like equipment malfunctions, did the, did the costume, anything rip, anything go bad? Oh my God, we got to get it back together kind of deal. That's a great question. It is. So I'm not going to lie. Any good makeup effects person will, if they said they weren't panicking about something ripping or tearing, they're lying. Uh, everybody panics like, oh, did I build this right? I have to say, not once did we have an issue with that mask. Wow. No matter what wow. the scene was, no matter what the shot was, whether he was getting hit by a car, being thrown underwater, never. That's amazing. Never. Yeah, that's, that's great. Right. I mean, I'm all, I mean, yeah. obviously, we try to. There is quite a lot of mechanics that go under that, and I did try to That's come up with a system that was that was that was going to work. I, but you just don't know. I actually disagree with you. I don't think it was all luck. That's a lot. I think well, no, there was a lot of preparation building this mask to make sure that we. There was a lot of time spent coming up with the vacuum or the Velcro uh, attachments and all that stuff to make sure that it was a solid thing, so that it could go through all of the the stunts and, and the body. We knew what we were getting into. It was going to be <coughs> rain, dirt, water, mud. mud we knew blood. that all that was going to come yeah. up. So for the most part, like once you knew what you were getting into with the conditions, that kind of denotes the way you're going to build something. So it's not necessarily like, oh, we're just going to glue it on his face. Right. right. Because if he's stuck underwater and we've got to get that thing off in a hurry. Which he was. You're not gonna, exactly. You're not right. going to be there with like, you know, we're trying to peel the thing off. It was pretty foolproof um, when it went out the door. But you got lucky. Yeah. No, but you know, though, here's no, the thing. You know, There's always stuff that happens every time you go on set, and you can never you guess never what it's going to be. It. You can right. never if you put oh. money on a table and bet, you would never win. So there is a bit of luck, but we we definitely went in and tried to do everything we could to make it foolproof before it walked out. But the there door. was there was no mishaps, not once. Nope. Amazing. That's fantastic. Yeah. So that's it for us, George. I don't know if you have anything you want to squeeze in there. I just basically just want to say thank you to everyone who has been chiming in with your questions, with your comments. Thank you. It really, it really just comes down to passion. These guys have passion for the project. They have passion for the character and they, that passion is right there on the screen for all to see. And I'm really, really thrilled that both of you have been able to take the time to sit down and talk with us and give us a really great look behind yeah. the 
scenes, share some terrific stories. Ivana, you are awesome as always. Thank you so Thank much you. for everything that you have done for this. You are, you are definitely the MVP here. I know how hard you've been working yes, behind the scenes you. to get all this going. It has just been absolutely remarkable. Thank you again to every one of you for chiming in and for and for Michael B, for Ivana Cadaver, for Todd and Martin, this is George Soroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com. <laughs>